You are listening to the Effective Statistician Podcast, episode number 58, How to Best Analyze Ordinal Data, Overcoming the Simplification Strategy. Welcome to the Effective Statistician with Alexander Schacht and Benjamin Pieske, the weekly podcast for statisticians in the health sector, designed to improve your leadership skills, widen your business acumen and enhance your efficiency. And in terms of leadership skills, we have an upcoming uh, webinar, Mastering the Art and the Science of Influential Communication for Statisticians. And this webinar happens on May 30th and you can register for the webinar on the homepage of the Effective Statistician. Just check out theeffectivestatistician.com slash webinar. In our webinar, you'll learn about the challenges statisticians face when communicating and what are the keys to being more influential when you communicate and how you can prepare for challenging audiences and why it's so important to have a strong start of your presentation. And finally, we'll give you three things you can do now to improve your communication. So don't miss this opportunity to become more effective at work and reduce your frustrations about not being heard or understood. So, in today's episode, we will uh, go into analyzing um, Uh, ordinal data and what usually happens is that we dehumanize it or we look into continuous data and um, that is an oversimplification. Another aspect of ordinal data is uh, that it has now got more attention due to the composite um, strategy for estimates and uh, we'll talk about that in a future episode with Michael O'Kelly. So Benjamin and myself uh, will talk today about uh, different ways to analyze ordinal data because we have been passionate about that already at university and did research there. The podcast is created in association with PSI, a global member organization dedicated to leading and promoting best practice and industry initiatives. Join PSI today to further develop your statistical capabilities with access to the special interest groups, the video-on-demand content library, free registration to all PSI webinars and much, much more. There is a reduced rate at £20 for non-high-income countries and it's only £95 for high-income countries. So that's a very, very easy low-brainer to become a Uh, PSI member for a year uh, for that fee. Just visit the PSI website at psiweb.org to learn more about PSI activities and become a PSI member today. Welcome to another episode of the Effective Statistician Podcast. And today we have a technical topic. As lots of you requested to have more technical topics, this is exactly the episode today. And um, I'm speaking again with Benjamin about that. Hi, Benjamin. How are you doing? Hi, Alexander. Well, tired, but otherwise it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, your voice is a little bit rough today. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> uh, 
I'll do a little bit more speaking today um, and and uh, go through this topic today, which is actually very, very close to my heart because um, it's one of the topics that uh, I did some research in and uh, took a lot of time uh, during my uh, time at university to look into it. And the topic of today is analyzing ordinal data. And... Ordinal data is something that um, comes across our day-to-day um, -day business quite frequently. However, very often we actually don't treat it as such. And usually ordinal data comes in the, um, in the form of ordered categorical data. And so, so that could be, you know, there's lots of different examples for that. Um, everybody, of, of course, is familiar with kind of um, school classes, uh, school grades um, that are categorized A, B, C, D, E, or one to six, or um, depending on the school system, and reflect uh, ordered categorical uh, data. So, so, you know, one, you can always say one grade uh, is better than the next grade, but you can't really say uh, what's the difference between these. Yeah, well, uh, difficult in school at least to say. Well, <laughs> what's, you know, if, you get, if you get a one before a two, it makes two very good grades. So, no, uh, <laughs> so you, can't, you can't multiply or you know, sum them up or whatever. You can't really use them as normal data i mean it's easy it's obviously for grades like a b c d e whatever so this is because obviously you can't calculate with them but if you have numbers um you know people might get confused with it yeah and a very very kind of um usual um thing in in clinical uh, is for example the CGI, the clinical global impression of whatever severity you're looking into, uh, which is often measured from one to seven, and uh, you have anchors for the one and for the seven uh, in terms of the disease. You know the, the worst disease you have ever seen uh, to no symptoms at all or something like this, yeah. and. The problem with that is actually that very often people confuse these numbers with real numbers, saying that, you know, the difference between uh, one and two is the same as it between two and three and three and four and so on, and forget that these are just representatives of uh, states like no disease, mild symptoms, moderate symptoms, severe symptoms, very severe symptoms. And of course, you know, you can't really say that the difference between no symptoms and mild symptoms is the same as between mild and moderate symptoms. Absolutely. And it's also for, you know, for example, if you have polls, you always have been asked, you know, how, how did you like um, the conference or whatever? And you say, very good, good, you know, satisfactory or bad or, you know, this is, this is kind, you can't, you can't use them like this. And especially when it gets into our programming language or, you know, when you, when we have a use SARS, we usually have numbers behind it and we have mm -hmm. formats on it. So you read it, but you can calculate it, but no, you can't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, there's even some special cases where you have continuous uh, 
ordinal data. So if you think of a visual analog scale, that, for example, is uh, uh, could be seen as a continuous ordinal data. So, so where can you can say, okay, mark your pain on this um, visual analog scale between uh, zero and one hundred millimeters. Mm-hmm. And then that you know is also uh, actually not a metric; it's it's just the number that describes the pain. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can't really say, well, the difference between zero and 10 millimeters is the same as between, let's say, eight and 80 and 90 millimeters. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a completely different range. Yeah. Yeah. And, so, uh, and a different meaning, a different pain. <laughs> completely different pain, yeah. So um, these are just a couple of uh, examples to, to help you understand what, what we mean by ordinal data. And... Um, Usually, we have for these things, you know, the uh, the problems, and we want to um, look into changes from baseline uh, versus endpoint, and or well, sometimes you only have this assessment at one time point, but but um, very often we look into changes from baseline versus endpoint, and that of course in itself brings some problems. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Be- because you know you want to make a uh, make a comparison there and, and uh, calculate a delta, which is actually in the first place not po- not possible. Yeah, I mean, it's it just just from what we just said, it's you know if the, the change maybe the same difference, you know even it's not a real difference, but it, it's the same difference, but it's a different meaning. So I mean, on the one side, you can easily say. Okay, it's getting better. It's getting worse. So that is regardless of what what category it is, but we can't really quantify um, overall over the full scale. We can't quantify a change from baseline. Let's say. Yeah, yeah, and there's another kind of problem is that uh, if you look into uh, changes, of course, you know, uh, imagine you have a. Yeah, CGI was uh, one to seven. Well, if you have a two at baseline, you can't have a change of minus five. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> so so, so uh, there's a lot of kind of problems associated with these, these kind of things. However, you very commonly you see that um, you know. ANOVAs, MMMRM, so so uh, mixed model repeated measures, um, or t-test, or you know any other kind of linear models uh, are used in in these kind of settings. So um, the problem with that is that you know it actually doesn't re- respect the the baseline information set is actually in the data. Yep. No. What's I mean? What what is then the the best way of using the data? Well, let's say the easiest way is uh, to look into responses. And, you know, that is um, very, very often done because people like to use binary data. So they look into, as you said, you know, um, have they improved? Yes or no, so to say. Yeah, or did they improve... Uh, below a certain threshold, 
yeah, so, so um, how many patients had at max moderate disease at uh, at endpoint, you know, when, you know, maybe moderate disease or, was, or severe disease was a baseline inclusion criteria. So that way you can, you know, you, you kind of try to get around it by dichotomizing mm. uh, things. And that's, of course, you know, at least it uh, takes into account that there's uh, an ordinal cat, uh, variable here. Um, so, and then you can, you know, use all your usual approaches like uh, logistic regression or, you know, uh, Fisher's test or, you know, all the things that you do with binary variables. Yeah, but at first sight, I mean, if you just you know, decrease the um, the meaning of your questions to a binary question isn't this a loss of information yeah of course of course there's, there's a, a lot of loss in, in information and um, especially if you don't have so much data yeah in, in smaller studies um, that loss of information can be quite terrible uh, and um, also in bigger studies um, well maybe it's you know easier for to for you to interpret but but of course let's say you have a baseline inclusion criterion that your cgi needs to be at least don't know four let's say yeah and you look into your cgi response as something that is maximum uh, three at endpoint but of course, it makes a huge difference if you just moved from a four to a three, or if whether you moved from a seven to a three. Yeah, yep. and so so um, you're throwing away that that information, or what you know, uh, whether you have moved from a seven to a zero versus a four to a three. Yeah, both are responders, but one is a really dramatic improvement, and the other thing is, you it's know, a slight improvement just, or just, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just, just, you know, just noticeable, and um, or maybe you know, it's just random variation over time. So um, that, that's where the problem is. So um, we're seeing. With these binary approaches, um, you can, of course, have, you know, look into logit and probit link uh, models um, and all these kind of things. Another topic that you can do is if you have just, um, just the endpoints that you're looking into is uh, a proportional odds model. So uh, you can basically treat all these... Um, uh, categories as ordered and you basically so the so proportional odds model is basically a couple of lo uh, logit models um, layered over each other mm. so let's say you have a um, you're looking into cgi with seven categories one to seven, then it looks into um, the disautomization uh, one versus bigger than one, two versus bigger than two, three versus bigger than three, and so on up to uh, uh, below six to uh, versus seven. So, so you get all these uh, odds, and the assumption of the uh, proportional odds is that your um, 
effect for your covariates doesn't alter depending on the odds ratios you're looking into. So um, the if you think of a logistic regression model, it has this alpha plus beta times covariate linear term. <laughs> and the beta times covariates, that stays the same, and the alpha just changes for the different thresholds you're looking into. So there you would, instead of having one threshold alpha, you would have six one. Yeah. Mm. And um, that's that's a very, very strong assumption. Uh, and you can check that visually, whether these uh, lock odds ratios really hold. Um, and that's, that's quite a nice way to analyze these data uh, in a parametric way. Because then, you know, all your, all the techniques that you know from um, logistic regressions, they can mostly be transferred to this uh, proportional odds model. You mentioned the visualization for for this. Um, I mean, it's difficult in the podcast, maybe, but how how can you look into this? So, so basically, you um, run logistic regressions for each of these uh, dehumanizations that I just mentioned, mm -hmm. and then you check whether the um, the odds are actually uh, the odds ratios are actually stable, and mm -hmm. and. Uh, Okay, so for, that helps. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. yeah. Um, the downside to that is that, you know, on the um, first, this assumption needs to hold. And the other thing is um, if you have sparsely, um, sparse data on a couple of categories, especially on the lower and uh, upper end, you get into more problems. Yeah, because there's the, just the, uh, the calculation becomes a little bit unstable. Okay. Yeah. Oh, well, interesting. So you just learned something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And of course, there's a, um, you know, there's SARS functions and R functions for these, uh, these kind of things. So, uh, just check that out. Um, another approach which is actually a very, very nice approach to analyzing this data is uh, based on ranks. Yeah. And um, this is where both uh, Benjamin and myself got a lot of experience during our time at university because Professor Brunner published quite extensively about that, um, has written a couple of books on Uh, rank-based uh, methods for factorial factorial data for for covariate adjustment uh, and things like that. And what it basically does, it uh, looks into the data just from a, a rank perspective. And um, all these methods are basically extensions of the Wilcoxman Whitney test. Yeah, and it's a it's a good thing. I mean, I mean, we are now talking about Arnold data, but just come back to the rank topic. Uh, is really that that whatever data it is, it works. So it's not necessarily only for ordinal data. So it's really for any other data. But um, it's just that you know, if you order them based on ranks, uh, you see that the the differences that we couldn't um, interpret before, uh, we can't interpret in ranks either. 
but um, yeah. that's the that's the assumption for it. So that's why it now works. Yeah, but with the ranks, you get a, a mean rank for uh, one treatment group and a mean rank for the other treatment group, uh, and that gives you a perception about the um, difference between the groups. Yeah. And what you can even do based on these mean ranks, you can also calculate the probability that a randomly taken subject from treatment A is better performing than a randomly subject treatment from treatment B. Mm -hmm. And that is called the relative effect. Not the effect size, the relative effect. So the probability that a subject given treatment A is better than subject treatment on, subject on, on B. And of course, if that probability is 50%, Both uh, treatments um, are called relatively equal. Um, so their mean ranks uh, would would be the same, and the uh, could be just you know the uh, the, the, the the distribution would be just different in terms of uh, the uh, standard deviation, but kind of the mean rank would uh, would be the same. So, hmm. Uh, that's also called the Behrens-Fischer problem. Uh, just, just a little side note. Um, so, and then if you know if you have a, um, this relative effect of of one or one hundred percent, then basically the worst patient on treatment A is better than the best patient on treatment B. So you have complete separation. Yeah. Yep. But then you don't need stats, actually. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. That's true. Yeah. And there's also a, a couple of nice ways how you can, um, if you have, for example, binary data, or if you have really kind of um, uh, continuous um Gaussian distributed data, normal distributed data. You can also see how you know um, response rate difference or um, mean difference. How that would translate into uh, this relative effect. Um, there's nice uh, publications about that in, in you know the uh, books by Bronner. But um, I also have an example of that in the, the papers that I published in Biometrics. And I'll um, cite that in the show notes. So just check out the show notes. We'll have a couple of links there to uh, SARS macros, to uh, R macros, uh, and other things uh, to give you a little bit more uh, background in terms of these rank-based methods. So... We just talked about kind of the two treatment case uh, scenario where you would ha have a Wilcoxon and Whitney test. Um, but there's also um, extensions of that where you can use uh, covariate adjustments. And um, this is completely non-parametric. So each, um, you know, for example, the baseline, Uh, variables that you have in your uh, data set, you can take that as a covariate. And um, if you have randomized uh, treatments, 
um, then the interpretation of the outcomes relative treatment effects that is adjusted for covariates is completely the same as um, in the Wilcox and Whitney test. Yep, and you also find these in the books from Professor Brunner, for example, and others where there have been a lot of publications or a lot of thoughts around these uh, topics um, and the non-parametric approaches. Yeah. One other thing is you might also have uh, a couple of treatment groups. So let's say treatment A, B, C. And um, there's um, rank-based methods here as well. Uh, just the interpretation of the relative effect becomes a little bit more tricky because basically what you do is you get for, for each um, for each treatment, you get a relative effect uh, that tells you something about how it compares to all the other treatments. So, um, and then these relative effects are, you know, really depend on what other treatments you are comparing them to. So that is one of the key things. It's a, it's always about relative. Yeah. So you don't get an absolute uh, outcome here, which is one of the limitations, uh, of course. Um, there's one other thing uh, that was also published in the 90s. Uh, that is the so-called von Elteren test. Um, the von Elteren test uh, looks also in rank-based methods and looks into that for each um, category of the endpoint at baseline. So, so basically it looks into, let's say, for all those that have a CJ of seven at baseline, what is there as a um, Manville-Coxon test, then for all which have a six at baseline, what is a Manville-Coxon test, and then for, for all those with, with four and, and so on. So basically you get for each category at a baseline, you get a Wilcoxman Whitney test, and um, Van Eltren they proposed a method how to combine these. Um, however, there's obviously some problems there. First, with the overall interpretation there, mm -hmm. and second, uh, if you have um, sparse categories, um, then that becomes really, really unstable. Mm -hmm. So. Um, you probably need to combine categories at baseline. And uh, yeah, that's really bad. Um, you already mentioned that that's about, you know, how to you, you know, use computer programs um, for, for these test things. But what is your preference there? I, I just remember that, that it's been a while though, but you know, that the non-parametric approaches are, have been quite um, tedious to do in SARS. Um, so it was possible with some workarounds and everything. So but what is this, the status quo then today for uh, what would you recommend then to use? I probably would go for R because um, nowadays most of the publications in that field uh, are published together with R code. And so uh, we'll put some references to, to R codes in, in the uh, show notes. So you can download these um, R macros there. And by the way, um, we are planning to have a very, very special guest on the topic of non-parametrics in the future. Mm -hmm. So uh, stay tuned. 
we are not yet revealing the name, but uh, it will be quite exciting to have him uh, yeah, indeed. Uh, as a guest. Yeah. So um, one other thing, uh, as I said, you know, the problem is with uh, non-parametric data or, you know, with all these approaches is um, how do you communicate uh, these data effectively? And what I really like is uh, visual displays like uh, stack bar charts here. So um, that's a nice nice way to look into it, uh, you know, these, where you have colors going from yellow into red and you have, you know, different uh, degrees of red and yellow uh, to show the severity. Yeah, that brings me back or reminds me of a topic about, you know, say, uh, what nice graphics shows more than 1,000 words or tells you more than 1,000 words. So yeah. it's it's really about, um, it's a good point again to bring it up is that um, carefully consider how you present the data and um, how this is done. And as Alexander said, uh, colors and stack bars, it's a very good approach for, for interpreting or uh, summarizing, showing the results. Yeah. And there you can basically see uh, also where the differences happen. So, so uh, uh, if you just have a, um, let's say, a response variable, you know, how many people get below uh, three or something like this, you have, you know, just these two bars, but um, you don't see, you know, where are all the other categories happening. And is this below three for, for one treatment? Is this mostly zero? Or is that, you know, mostly one and two? And of course, these things really have, um, have a lot of impact. So, so especially if there's bigger treatment differences, um, that can be uh, quite interesting to look into. Another point is... Um, if you have many time points over time, you can also even animate these stack bar charts. So you can, you know, interpolate the data and see kind of where over a certain period of time people will likely um, move over into uh, the next category. Um, and by that have, you know, um, animated stack bar charts over time and uh, which gives you a nice way to visualize how uh, patients are progressing uh, from baseline to endpoint that's an excellent idea i've never I've never seen such um you know moving living um bar or, or graphic uh, in that content so it's a very good idea indeed mm. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and most of the uh, journals nowadays uh, accept these kind of um, electronic uh, video formats as an uh, electronic appendix. And uh, also for conferences, of course, it's a great way mm -hmm. to uh, present the data. It's much more appealing than, you know, just showing bar charts like, you know, everybody else. Excellent. Um there's there's one point that uh, about you know how do we handle missing data for um, ordinal data? So what are the downsides there, or what need we what you need to recommend to take care of uh, for for handling missing data? 
Yeah, I think there is the um, kind of same problems that you have for, for most of the data. Um, here, one of the good things is, you know, the kind of worst outcome. And um, so one of the things that you can handle missing data, so especially kind of missing data arising from dropouts over time, uh, you could, you know, assume that they have the, you know, the worst outcome or, you know, the last outcome, um, depending on, you know, what you're looking into. And that's, um, that's just just one way to, to analyze the data. Hmm. Excellent. Okay, very good. I think with that, we have a short but very, very technical uh, presentation today. Um, and I hope that uh, gives you a little bit of input into your day-to-day -day work and gives you some opportunity to analyze data differently, to step out of what has been usually done and then to, to look into better ways of uh, analyzing the data, presenting the data. Just one thing. Um, I would never call, you know, call these kind of non-parametric analysis kind of sensitivity analysis to the parametric ones because they're really not sensitivity analysis. Um, they're looking into very, very different effect measures. And um, you can't say really if one uh, is, let's say, significant and the other is, you know, not, let's say, inconsistent or whatsoever. Um, really, they look into different uh very different ways of the data and and understand that is is really crucial yeah and that actually is uh, one of the topics then for the non-parametric ones to to compare the the way of using non-parametric methods compared to parametric methods and maybe we have some more thoughts then on that uh, podcast episode coming up yeah and on communication of of these non-parametric approaches Okay, thanks so much uh, for listening today and um, tune in next week. And if you have enjoyed today's episode, please send us a reply and tell your colleagues about it. Bye. Bye. This show was created in association with PSI. And next week, we will talk about pre-specification, another very, very interesting and relevant topic for our day-to-day -day work. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to register for the webinar about communication and how to be a much more effective communicator as a statistician. Just register under the effective statistician webinar today.